Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. If you want to reduce your taxes, you might want to listen to today's show, especially if you had a large sale of something like stock, real estate, or a business, or anticipate having a sale like that in this year. Today's show will teach you some valuable techniques that will make you feel good and at the same time greatly reduce your tax burden. Joining us today is Alan Pratt, certified estate planner, charter advisor in philanthropy, past president of the International Association of Advisors in Philanthropy, and president of Pratt Legacy Advisors. Welcome, Alan. Thank you very much. With the new tax rules now that have been implemented, a lot of times people who might have a one-time event of a sale of a business or stock or real estate might be impacted with much more significant taxation. When we talk about the topic of charitable giving, a lot of times people overlook the opportunities in tax planning, or people that are doing tax planning may overlook the opportunities in charitable giving. Alan, you've pretty much dedicated your practice to advising people on charitable giving. What prompted you to do that? For me, it started my professional journey about 15 years ago when I was doing a lot of just general estate planning work for people that had fairly sizable estates and using life insurance and other tools and protecting wealth from unnecessary estate taxation. About mid-90s, 95, 96 or so, I just felt the inkling to not only do that type of work, but also work with people that wanted to learn the tools of giving. They were selfless. They were outwardly focused. In addition to being smart with regard to stewarding their family wealth, their desires went beyond that in terms of what they could do to help out their community and give back to organizations that were near and dear to their heart. So my professional journey took a little bit of a shift for a wonderful reason about 15 years ago to not only continue to do the estate planning work that I do, but really with a focus on charitable planning is a key component to virtually everybody's plan because you do not have to be wealthy to be a philanthropist. I think that's a great point, Alan. In fact, truly anyone can be a giver. In our church, for example, we talk about providing time, talent, or treasure. So it doesn't always have to be about the money. Maybe touch on the importance of that. Absolutely. Here's the best way to think about it. We all have a single commodity that no one has more of and no one has less of. It's called time. We all have 24 hours a day. No one has 25 or 26. We all have 24. We all have seven days a week. No one has eight. No one has nine. We all have seven. So knowing that we've all got the same wonderful commodity called the use of our time, the giving component and the philanthropy piece that we work with on families is principally designed around the use of their time. The size of one's balance sheet does not have to be a bearing for what one person does with their time. Example, look at our calendar and look on your calendar for the past month. And just confirm to yourself, where have you been giving of yourself to your church, like you say, or to your alma mater, or to the organizations that you care about? And not necessarily writing checks or being part of their lead capital campaign, but giving of yourself with your time and sometimes your talents that brings big reward to that organization and to you personally. So I'm in that world a lot. The time, talents, and treasures is very applicable. One does not have to have a whole lot on the treasure side to be a giver. Now, I've heard you talk about there's three places 
that your money will ultimately go to, and I've heard you use a phrase. Can you share that with the audience? Absolutely. Here's what I would like the audience to think about. Everyone listening today has a plan. You all have a plan. You either have a plan by design or a plan by default. But all 308 million Americans today do have a plan. And if we've not created our own, you're going to have the state of Washington plan or the state of Wisconsin plan or the state of California plan, whatever state in which you reside, such that if people pass away without proactively creating a plan, the state will take over and it will distribute your wealth according to the rules and regulations of the state. So that's a plan by default. A plan by design comes into play when we proactively take it upon ourselves to create action steps. Some of these action steps are going to take place while we are alive. Some of those action steps are going to take place when we pass away. Some will be a balance of both. But as we create that plan by design, what we end up doing is proactively taking control of our balance sheet and distributing it while we are alive and when we pass to the three buckets to which wealth goes. And those three buckets are as follows. First bucket, right out of the chute, is charitable giving. I.e., if you pass away with a plan by default, how much of your assets will go to charity? Answer, zero. The next bucket is government, and that's taxes. All forms of taxes included in this taxes are, yes, our estate and gift taxes, but also while we're living, what about income taxes? What about capital gains taxes? What about excise taxes? What about use taxes? What about property taxes? All forms of taxation should be considered in the planning process because when we know there's various elements that we are obligated to pay based on a transaction, we can bring in the charitable tax code, and we'll talk about this in a minute, to soften that. The third bucket is heirs. So it's charity, government, heirs. And while we're living, I would call that family. I would call that yourself. Our living plan should include what we're doing for charity. How are we paying taxes? Are we paying too much? Are we paying not enough? Are we paying the right amount? And what are we doing for ourselves, our family, and our heirs? And we measure that in our planning process with our lifetime planning process and our at-death planning such that the people that we work with that have a desired distribution for where it will go will end up with that desired distribution. Let me give you an example. Let's say on your plan by default, based on the size of your balance sheet and the state in which you reside, if you pass away tomorrow, it's zero to charity, it's 20% to government, and it's 80% to heirs. It is what it is based on the size of your balance sheet. Zero to charity, that doesn't match who I am. 20% to government, maybe that's a little high. 80% to heirs, that's probably fine. But can I shift it through some proactive lifetime planning and testamentary planning such that I can do 20-0-80, i.e. charity 20%, government 0, and heirs 80? Or could I even do 20-0-100? That's 120%. What about 30-0-120? And the answer is, with well-thought-out lifetime and testamentary planning, one can give away multiples of their balance sheet. I have clients that have done that, that are doing that right now. The principle here is everybody's got a plan. It's either a plan by design or a plan by default. Which one do you have? And then secondly, can you measure your plan today in terms of the percentage of your wealth that will go to charity, how much will go to government, how much will go to heirs, and is that consistent with your desires? Most of the time when I meet with people, their present plan is out of alignment with their desired plan. That gives us an opportunity to guide them to the desired outcomes in their desired plan. That's the overview.
Well, listen, Alan, everything you just said, this is not an area of planning that you need to go alone because you first start with going back to your advisor to say, look, I have these desires and wishes. And in some occasions, every, not every advisor is a specialist. I mean, you have designations, for example, as a certified estate planner, a chartered advisor in philanthropy. You've been the past president of the International Association of Advisors in Philanthropy. So advisors today work as a team and to meet a client's objective. You have found a specialty area niche that if a client says, I have these desires, and the advisor can connect with you, there's also an opportunity for you to work as a team because this is not planning. You should go alone, correct? Absolutely. I am very bullish on the principle of collaboration. And what I mean by that is our clients will have team members. They will have a legal advisor and their attorney. They will have a sound tax advisor in their CPA. They will have a sound financial advisor dealing with their wealth and managing it and growing it. And they should also have a sound philanthropic advisor with regard to guiding them on their giving and the issues of insurance, life insurance in particular, that can be a valuable tool in that giving process. So I would suggest everyone that wants to really take advantage of the skill sets that are out there is to build a team. And that team is collaborative. I will share with you my scenario. I am not a money manager. I do not manage the wealth of my clients, but I know each one of their wealth advisors and I know each one of their attorneys and I know each one of their CPAs and we collaborate and we communicate regularly because we are the team members. And who's the team captain? Answer, the client. The client's the captain. They're the boss. So we are working in collaborative efforts with the individual skill sets to make their outcomes the most rewarding possible. You know, Alan, recently I heard a story about how little people give in other parts of the world and how Americans lead the torch when it comes to giving. What are some of those recent trends that you see in giving today? There's a few. I would start with just some hard numbers so people can maybe get a feel for the altruistic hearts of Americans. Yes, we are the biggest giving nation on the planet, but I will use 2012 numbers, and we gave as a people in the United States roughly $300 billion away to charity last year. Isn't that fantastic? And my answer is absolutely. $300 billion is wonderful giving from individuals and private foundations, okay? That does not include corporate giving. As we look at the opportunities to give beyond that, let us just think for a minute about what is the collective net worth of all private party citizens in the United States of America? We had to collect 308 million balance sheets, add them all up. What's the collective net worth? In my estimation, I think it's well north of $50 trillion. I think we have $36 trillion just sitting in qualified plans right now. I'm going to suggest that we have well over $50 trillion of collective net worth. Well, if we were to do the math of $300 billion divided into $50 trillion, what's the answer? answer, point zero 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 something. So it's a relatively small number when we take it and compare it to the private wealth of citizens. That's where my energy is created. And in terms of trends in giving, I want our callers to think outside the box for a minute and think about giving not as a function of income. I'm an active person in my church, and one of our principles we talk about is tithing. And I think it's a wonderful principle that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. And that's a measurement against income. However, 
when we give to a charity, we give to a nonprofit, are we giving away our paycheck or are we giving away an asset? And the answer is, if you're giving cash, you're giving an asset. If you're giving securities, you're giving an asset. So as we think more and more and more about balance sheet giving, and we have identified what I would call idle assets sitting on balance sheets that were really being unproductive or non-productive whatsoever, and identifying how we can reconfigure those assets to give them away, what oftentimes happens to our income when we do that? It's either unaffected, or if it is affected, it goes up. It goes up. So I would say the trends that I would like for people to be thinking about deals with asset giving and thinking about beyond the scope of cash and securities, which are by far the biggest asset that's used in giving. About 93% of giving comes from cash and securities. But you know how much of the wealth in the United States of America is centered outside of cash and securities? Answer, over 90%. So we haven't even tapped into 90% of the wealth of America where we could. So the trend there, again, balance sheet giving, thinking beyond the box, and being aware that we still live in a country that since 1969 has had the most favorable tax code in terms of incentivizing from a tax standpoint reasons for giving. Has there been some pressure on that recently and some desires to maybe scale that back? Yes, a little, but it's still there. And I would encourage people to just to be aware of it, seek the guidance of advisors that understand that catch code, and apply it to their balance sheet. That is fantastic. Alan, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, let's talk about some of the actual tools of giving. So please stay tuned. The purpose of this message is to stop your heart for just a few seconds. If you weren't here, what would happen to your family? Would there be enough money for them to have the kind of life you want them to? People with life insurance know the answer. Life insurance isn't for the people who die. It's for the people who live. A reminder from the Life and Health Insurance Foundation for Education, a nonprofit organization. Welcome back as we continue a very great conversation today with Alan Pratt, who is the president of Pratt Legacy Advisors, also past president of the International Association of Advisors and Philanthropy, his own certified estate planner and designations and chartered advisor in philanthropy. So listen, we really appreciate your expertise, knowledge, and experience in this area. And what we're talking about today is just Charitable Giving 101, what's the different tools and techniques that you can use today to give to someone else? Tell us about some of the tools out there. Well, I think, as I mentioned previously, that probably the most common are just outright cash gifts of listed securities. Those are wonderful ways of giving, but there's much more that can enhance not only the value of the gift received by the not-for-profit, but the leveraging factor and the net benefit to the donor. One forgotten tool that can be used and I've seen this several times over, is what about life insurance? Oftentimes, people might go through life, and they're in their 50s or 60s or possibly even in their 70s. I had one recently in their 80s where they had forgotten old life policies. I had a gentleman who was 85 years old recently, and he had 14 old life policies that were dated back 50 years or more. I mean, one was dated 1938. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, this comes under the realm of what I would call a forgotten asset. Is there an asset that we haven't really paid much attention to and we haven't really utilized it in terms of our own lifestyle that we could turn right around and give it away? Life insurance could be one of those. Also, there's other what I would call plan gifts. And what is a plan gift? In the industry vernacular, it's a commitment to make a gift either now 
and or down the road, and in doing so, there's some immediate income tax benefit to the donor. One of these common ones is called a charitable gift annuity, and many of the largest 501c3 organizations in the country, public universities, hospitals, public foundations, community foundations, they have programs for accepting donors' gifts of cash or securities or appreciated assets into a vehicle that can turn right around and pay that donor an annuity, oftentimes for life. And in doing so, there's a partial income tax deduction for the amount of that gift that will end up eventually in the 501c3's general fund. So a charitable gift annuity is a nice tool for people that are philanthropic, but also would like it to kind of have an income stream coming back to them for a period of time, oftentimes for the rest of their life. Another tool, which is another what I call a container of wealth, is called a donor advised fund. This is a way of, again, creating a fund that can last a very long period of time. It can last 10, 20, 30 years. It can last two or three generations. And it's just a way of pooling assets into a fund that is then turned around and given out to multiple charities over one's lifetime. Again, the purpose of this conversation is not to go deep into these, but to just let the callers know that these are tools of giving. A charitable remainder unit trust, that's another tool that's often used out there. I've had several clients that have used that. And where is that useful? It's useful when one has an asset or a group of assets on their balance sheet that are oftentimes highly appreciated. They've held them for a number of years. Let's say, for instance, I bought Microsoft at its initial public offering in the early to mid-80s, and now it's doubled and it's doubled and it's doubled and it's doubled, etc., such that my current Microsoft shares are worth a great deal, and my basis is quite small. That type of asset is used very nicely inside of a charitable remainder unit trust in that we can get an income tax credit from giving it to that trust now and receiving an income stream for a period of years or our lifetime. So again, I don't want to go into a whole lot of that, but just remember charitable remainder unit trust for highly appreciated assets and for increasing one's income tax deduction, and oftentimes increasing one's cash flow. We've done several of those over the past 12 years every time the donor's income tax burden went down and their cash flow went up. Charitable lead trust, it's a little bit more of a complicated view, but it's quite popular today. It's a tool that one can use in putting assets into a trust for a period of years, let's say 20 years or so. At the completion of that time, those assets pass down to other people, oftentimes family members, at a very discounted price. So it's a tool that's used in combination with estate planning on passing down sizable wealth to the next generation, yet at the same time providing a nice charitable annuity cash flow to charities of one choice, including one's own private foundation. And that's another tool, private foundations. Should your own family create a private foundation? What are the pros and cons? We have one in our family. We've had one since 1986. They're not complicated. They can be done with a relatively small amount of money. But I just would encourage the callers to talk with their advisors about the use of a private foundation, pro, con, otherwise. Testimony requests. I'm just going to talk on that one real briefly because this is the easiest one. Everyone on the call, think about this right now. If you pass away tomorrow, what does your will say? How much of your estate, how much of your wealth is going to go to organizations of your choosing. Because if you have not put that in your will, the answer is zero. Okay? The amount of testimony requests in our country historically has been very, very low. And it doesn't need to be that way. It's the easiest thing to do is what are we going to say in our will? Okay? Another one that's quite popular that could be applicable to our listeners today is what about an IRA? What about money that we call qualified money? Can I give that away now and get some 
partial deductibility? And the answer is, under conditions up to maybe $100,000 of a gift, one can give it directly to a charity. And there's a special formula in creating the tax deduction there. It's basically an offset. But the answer is yes. One can give away monies in their IRA to a charity. The tax benefits are, I would say, neutral in that what happens here is one does not get taxed on the income distribution. And on the other side, the charitable gift is not credited either. So it's basically a flow through. All right. But these are just several areas. If you just keep this one in mind as you listen to my comments, what's my balance sheet have that I could talk to my advisors that might make a good source of a gift? That old life insurance policy, maybe that security that I've held for a number of years that's very low basis and high market value and low yield. Should I give that away? What's the best vehicle to give it into? And so I'll stop there because I think I've covered the bulk of them. And it's just having a matter with your financial advisor, if you've even thought about this. And a lot of times, I know when we bridge the discussion, you talked about a vehicle like the Charitable Remainder Trust, where you can avoid a lot of capital gain taxes using that. I've heard it said, you can give money to your government, you can give money to your heirs, or you can give money to charity. Pick two of the three. In a lot of planning circumstances, it doesn't necessarily mean you're taking money from the kids to give money to a charity. Sometimes you're able to eliminate what Uncle Sam is getting, have the kids get just as much as they would have gotten, but now using the money that would have went to Uncle Sam and replacing it by you controlling where that money goes. And just imagine when you commit to some of these types of gifting, there's a lot of planning that can be done. You mentioned IRAs. We've had a lot of clients through their charitable planning have been able to convert what would be taxable IRAs to tax-free Roth IRAs. So there's just a wealth of opportunities from a tax planning standpoint, but even more importantly is the wonderful things you can do by making a difference financially for the organizations you care most about. Absolutely. I would just give kudos to your comments about picking two out of the three. It is so true. Using a CRT and some of these other vehicles, we have seen clients that have minimized and sometimes even reduced the full amount that would have gone to the government in the form of taxes and replaced it with magnificent charitable gifts and distribution to heirs such that it's not charity or heirs, it's charity and heirs. I think that's a key point, Alan. You're talking leverage, right? Absolutely. Charity and heirs. We're not going to disinherit our children with that big gift to the college, and we're not going to miss out on the college because we want to leave it all to our kids. We do both. It kind of goes back to what you started in the first segment when you talked about maybe 130%. People sometimes can't think past 100%, but quite frankly, if you plan properly, you're using saved tax dollars to leverage wealth to those that you can at least know how they spend it and how they're going to use it. When you send it off to Washington, boy, that's a certain question these days, how that's going to be spent. So, Alan, we could probably go for another hour. And quite honestly, this subject, we just thank you for inspiring our listeners to reach out to their advisor as that first step and challenge themselves to even look at their current estate plan, if they even have one, start there, and then talk about all the tools that you've summarized today. As this landscape continues to change, and as I hope, we can motivate Americans to go from $300 billion, which is that point zero 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 whatever of our nation's wealth, maybe we can look at this on a broader scope and continue to educate our listeners on all the tools that are available. So we hope we can have you back as a guest in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, 
just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.